Will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this day that you have given us. We give you thanks for the rains that you have provided in these past couple of days. But Lord, thank you even more for the forgiveness that you rain down upon us. How you forgive so abundantly all the ways that we resist you and rebel against you and hurt one another um, accidentally or even on purpose. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. Let your forgiveness extend through us to the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Travis is really excited that NFL football season is just about here. <laughs> He's a, we joined a fantasy league together this year, and uh, he's all, you know we've already started doing trades and went through the whole draft and everything. Uh, when Travis lo- wa- watches a football game, he likes to sit down with a big piece of paper in front of him and keep track of all the points and the turnovers and all the different statistics from the game. You know that you know, is going to go into the score of uh, our fantasy league. Uh, So I can just see him someday being a, a, like a statistician or at least really enjoying being at games and and helping keep score and keep track of all those things. (laughs) But what if a husband and wife kept score on each other? What if each of them had a little notebook that they kept with them at all times, and every time that the other person did something that they appreciated, they would write down a little tally mark on the positive side of the page. But whenever they did, the other person did something that they didn't like, oh man, black mark on the negative side of the page. You know, you could just see them all day long. Which side do you think would probably fill up fastest? (laughs) Isn't that exactly what we tend to do in our relationships? In our marriages, in our friendships, in our, you know, our workplaces? We keep score in, maybe not on paper, but in our heads of how that person is doing. This week, I read an article um, by uh, Lynette Kittle on iBelieve.com uh, called 10 Reasons Keeping Score is So Dangerous for a Marriage. Uh, the first one that she wrote down was that scorekeeping is rooted in pride. You know, th- think all the way back to Adam and Eve, you know? The very first thing that happened after God created them, put them in the garden, you know, set them to tend it, there was this fruit. And it was for knowing good and evil or being able to decide for yourself what's right and wrong, what's on the positive and on the negative. And Eve took it and gave it to her, gave some to her husband who was with her, and it drove a wedge between them and between them and God. 
And immediately, what did they start doing? Blaming. What have you done? Oh, it was the woman. Oh, it was the serpent. It was... Scorekeeping is rooted in pride. Scorekeeping also leads to discontent. You know, expecting the other person to never disappoint, hurt, or let us down causes couples to have unrealistic expectations because spouses sometimes unintentionally and sometimes on purpose hurt each other out of their own wounds, letdowns can quickly lead to disillusionment. But keeping score in marriage with hopes of making things right really only brings more discontent. In Luke 6, Jesus says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them the other also. If someone takes their coat, your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. A gentle response to a spouse's wrong action can bring godly sorrow and healing to broken areas in the relationship a lot more effectively than keeping score will. She went on to say that scorekeeping fosters conditional love. You know, is saying, I'll love you if you do X, Y, and Z. Because if you're not doing those things, pff, forget it. It also breeds fear. And if we're honest, it also breeds dishonesty and deceitfulness because you end up getting worried that everything good on the positive side is going to get wiped out by one mistake on the, on the negative side. Scorekeeping also sets up opponents. You know, it, it makes you feel like you're on opposite sides of your marriage, of your relationship at work. It turns relationships into battlegrounds. And scorekeeping separates as well. It, rather than unifying, it tends to divide. Proverbs 17 says, whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Scorekeeping also blurs vision. It's so much easier for us to see our own, or to see the weaknesses and failures in other people while mostly ignoring our own. In Matthew 7, Jesus reminds us, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see more clearly to take the speck out of the other person's eye. Scorekeeping also limits forgiveness, it, it, or, or it, it fails the love test, and it discounts Jesus' sacrifice. You know, Jesus' new commandment to his disciples, the very night that he knew that one of them would betray him and the rest of them would desert him, he said, love one another as I have loved you. Finally, scorekeeping limits forgiveness. How many times do people believe they have forgiven each other for things in the past until something new happens? And then all of a sudden, there's this avalanche of 
memories of all these past wrongdoings. And so instead of responding in love and forgiveness and comfort, they lash out with a list of all the other person's failures. Unforgiveness leads to hardness of heart and broken relationships. Today we heard from Matthew 18, um, Jesus' story of the the unforgiving servant. Um, But I want to look first at what he had just talked about before that. So grab your pew Bible in front of you, or if you've got a, a Bible app on your phone, pull that out. Go to Matthew 18. If you're looking in your pew Bible, it's on about page 1527. 1527. So in Matthew 18, right here in the middle of the chapter, uh, mine has a, a heading that says, A Brother Who Sins Against You. Jesus told his disciples how they should deal with one another when someone wronged each other. He said their faith in God should make a difference in how they treat each other. We're to speak the truth in love and gently confront a brother or sister in faith who's strayed off the path. Jesus teaches us here how to reconcile. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and show them their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won over your brother or sister. So he says, first of all, go to the person directly. And then, if they don't listen to you, then bring one or two others along with you. Not to beat up on the person, but to listen to both of you and find the truth. Then, Jesus said, if they still don't listen to you, then bring it to the church. Now, what do you mean by that? Drag it in front of 150 people on Sunday morning and say, this person wronged me and here's what. (laughs) No, that wasn't what he was talking about. Uh, Perry Freeling, a couple of weeks ago, when he was talking about this particular passage, pointed out that in those days, the church was typically in people's homes. You know, it was a small group of people who really invested their lives in each other, in this small group. So you're to bring it to a small group of people who care for one another. And if that still doesn't work, Jesus goes on, if if the person refuses to listen even to the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, a pagan, you know, someone who doesn't believe in God, or a tax collector, someone who basically was going against the whole nation by collecting money and sending it to the Romans, you know, you'd think, well, that means shut them out of your life. But you have to remember who's talking here. It's Jesus, the one who welcomed tax collectors and sinners, who ate with them, who healed them, who brought good news to them. That's the way we're supposed to treat our brother or sister who has sinned against us. So, 
After all this, Peter speaks up in verse 21. Uh, and he asks a clarifying question. Essentially, what, what, what should this look like in my life? How does forgiveness get worked out? He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? How often should I forgive? As, as many as seven times? Now, P Peter was being very generous. You know, Jewish law only required the person to forgive three times. And so he was doubling that and adding one. But Jesus responded not seven times, but I heard you over here. Who said it? Seventy-seven times. <laughs> or... If you look in, in your Bible, you may see a little note that down at the bottom says the other way that you can translate that is 70 times 7. How many is that, you know? Yeah. Yes, 490 times. Wouldn't you lose count? <laughs> oh, maybe that's the point. Jesus' point there is way more than you would expect. Extravagant forgiveness. That's the kind of forgiveness that God gives us, as Jesus points out later. Because if you're counting, if you're keeping score, you're not really forgiving the person. You're just biding your time. You're tallying up little marks in your book so that then you can, you know, hold it over them. True forgiveness means letting go of your desire, your need, and even your right to make the other person pay. It's like you have to give up thinking, I will never let that person off the hook until they get what they deserve. Forgiveness is the only way out of the cycle of resentment. You can think of it this way, uh, like someone who forgives someone and says, you know, I let the other person go, and I found that I was set free. Have you truly forgiven the other person? Or are you just biding your time and keeping score? Real forgiveness is unconditional. The way that God forgives. Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far the Lord removes our sins from us. And as we heard from Isaiah 1, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be as white as wool. God wants us to forgive just as we've been forgiven. Jesus went on in Matthew 18 to tell the story that we heard Rachel read this morning. A story about a king and some servants to help the disciples and us understand forgiveness more. He said, it's like this. God's kingdom is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
And so he had everybody brought to him one by one. And while he was settling accounts, there was a guy who was brought to him who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Now, a bag of gold, uh, the word there is talent, uh, that was a big amount of money. It was about 15 years worth of wages for a laborer. <laughs> 10,000 of the, that's a massive amount of money. And so he said, pay me what you owe. And there was no way that the servant could possibly repay that. Be hundreds of thousands of years worth of work. So he fell to his knees and said, please be patient with me and I'll pay back everything. <laughs> right. He was desperate. And yet the king did something absolutely astounding. He forgave him the entire debt. Let him go free. Can you imagine how relieved that guy would have felt? You know, this crushing weight of this massive debt that he could never repay was suddenly just gone. And yet, what did Jesus say the guy did after that? He went out from the palace, and on the way out, he saw a guy who owed him 100 silver coins. Now, that was a denarius. Each, you know, that was how much a, a person was, a laborer was paid for a, a full day's worth of work. So, a hundred of those, that, that's a pretty significant amount of money. He went over, grabbed the guy by the collar, started to choke him, and said, pay me what you owe! And what'd the other guy do? Fell on his knees, said, be patient with me, I'll pay you. Do you hear the echo? <laughs> Apparently, the first servant didn't, because he refused to give to be lenient on the guy, and he had him thrown into prison. And of course, when the master found out what had happened, he was enraged. Called the first servant back in and said. I forgave you all of that debt, and yet you have your fellow servant thrown in prison? <laughs> Shouldn't you have had mercy the way that I had mercy on you? That's really the point of the whole parable. Shouldn't you have mercy? Shouldn't you forgive the way that you have been forgiven? So that's the promise in that story, that God forgives abundantly, like that king, and wants us to do the same. But then there's this warning at the end of the gospel reading, you know, that the king handed over the unforgiving servant to be tortured until he would repay the entire debt. And Jesus said, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. <laughs> the gospel of the Lord. <laughs> what? When Jesus says, 
God wants us to forgive from the heart. That means more than just reluctantly mouthing the words, I forgive you, when you're really still harboring the grudge or continuing to write down tally marks. He's saying don't give fake forgiveness. Mean it when you say it. Speak from the heart. So, is Jesus calling us to be doormats? To just forgive, 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 and, you know, never defend ourselves, never stand up for ourselves in the face of injustice? No, I don't think that's the case. Right before this, in Matthew 18, Jesus told us how to speak the truth in love and gently confront a brother or sister who has wronged us. We are to care enough about each other that we hold each other accountable and work toward reconciliation. Paul says the same sort of thing in the reading from Colossians we heard. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Jesus thought forgiveness was so important that he put it in his model prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's the same word that was used for what the unforgiving servant had been forgiven. And then at the end of the Lord's Prayer, if you're reading it in the Gospels, Jesus immediately goes on and says, for if you forgive others their debts, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Martin Luther said this about that part of the Lord's Prayer in his small catechism. We pray in this petition that our Heavenly Father would not hold our sins against us and deny our prayers because of them. We know we have not earned, nor do we deserve those things for which we pray, but we ask that he would grant us all things through grace, even though we sin every day and deserve nothing but punishment. And so we too will heartily forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. In Greek, the word sin means to miss the mark. You know, like trying to aim for a target and it goes wide. I remember the first time that I tried archery. It was like middle school gym. (laughs) You remember having a target out on the, you know, uh, you know, maybe to the end, about that far away over there, and trying to draw back the arrow, and whoops, went <laughs> that way, and whoops, whoops, and by the end, of, you know, of shooting ten arrows, they were all over the floor. <laughs> but then one of the classmates, you know, every, everybody stopped, came over and picked up all the arrows, took them away. 
The word forgive in Greek is to take away, to send away what has missed the mark. That's what God does for us. He takes away all the errant arrows that have missed perfection, that have fallen short or gone wide of the target. The target being love one another as I have loved you. Forgive one another as you have been forgiven. We all miss the mark of what God desires for us and how Jesus wants us to live in community. Forgiveness brings healing and peace to the one who is forgiven and the one who forgives. Washes away bitterness, anger, and resentment. Forgiveness is costly because we have to let go of our desire for revenge and fair play. But God's forgiveness is far more costly. It costs the life of his only son. Praise God that his forgiveness is so much more than ours. His forgiveness is for you and through you for the people around you. Amen.